Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 16 in your Bibles this morning. Matthew chapter 16. If you'd prefer, prefer to hear the service translated into Spanish, Brother John Ordonez will be doing that right off the uh, lobby here in the room, right off the lobby. You can follow him out at this time and hear our sermon translated into Spanish. Encourage you to slip out at this time if that interests you. Matthew chapter number 16 in our Bibles. Each fall I go away for a handful of days and have a um, have a, um, a sabbatical, a time with the Lord where I uh, pray and speak with God and have Him help me lay out my uh, preaching calendar for the next 12 months. And so I had a whole series of sermon, uh, I had a whole uh, another series of sermons lined up to be preached over the last several weeks. And due to me being out sick and some other schedule shifts, this is going to go from being a full series to being a mini-series where I'm going to go from preaching this uh, five-week five series, and we're going to get it in in two. And so uh, we're going back to our theme, Stand for Jesus, uh, that we began way back in the very first week of 2021, and we're going to preach another series, a mini-series within that um, theme. Let's stand together, if we could, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 24 and read down through verse 27. I'll read the even-numbered verses. We'll read the odd numbered verses together as we read responsibly. I'll begin in 24. We'll begin together in 25. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Together, 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Stand for Christ. Stand for Christ. Are we standing for our Savior as He so willingly stood for us? Let's pray. Lord, this morning... We ask that you would guide us and help us to uh, have our thoughts and our heart focused. And Lord, to, to take a very sincere look at our own motives. Sometimes we do right for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we don't do right because we're distracted. And Lord, we're building our own kingdom. And so Lord, this morning, give me clarity of mind. Give me clarity of thought. Help me, Lord, to be able to preach with the same energy that I'm used to. And Lord, move in our hearts this morning. Stir us. Show us where we can grow and be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's getting more and more obvious that the world is against our Savior. And it it doesn't take um, a rocket scientist to look around at the culture and know that being a Christian is no longer popular. I was having a conversation with one of my children this week and uh, we were talking about the importance of, of taking a stand, even in a Christian school, and doing what's right, even within a Christian school. And the child's comment back to me was, it's difficult. It's difficult when you feel as though the other kids around you in your class uh, don't really love Jesus the way that you know that you ought to. And my response back to that child was, well, listen, as you get older, it's not going to get any easier. As you go into the workplace... It's not going to be any easier. As you continue to live for the Lord, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. Why is that? Because our world is becoming more and more secular in its direction. It's going further and further and further away from God. And if you stay still standing next to the Lord and standing up for the Lord, you're going to stand out more and more and more. And the thing we need to understand is that the world does not care how much you acquiesced or how much you acquiesced in the past, how much you gave in in the past. They want to know, are you going to continue to cave? Are you going to continue to give in? Are you going to continue to do what's necessary for them to accept you uh, uh, in the today, in the now and now. And so listen, we need to live our life where we're worried about the approval of Jesus, the approval of Christ, and not the approval of our co-workers or our classmates or our friends or our neighbors uh, or the culture at large. We're concerned about 
Christ and His approval of our life. And so our theme this year, Stand for Jesus, centers around that idea of I want to know that one day when I stand in the presence of my Savior, He looks at me with a, a glimmer in His eye, he, uh, the smile on His face, and He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want my Savior to look at me one day and look down at me and, and, and sort of let his shoulders slump and say to me, you wicked and slothful servant, what did, why didn't you stand for me? Why didn't you love me? You see, my friend, we need to make sure we're living our life with Christ and His approval in the forefront. Way back in January, we began this year's theme by looking at a series of sermons entitled, Stand with Conviction. And we talked about the importance of knowing what you believe, yes, but why it is you believe that. A lot of people, you say, do you believe in the virgin birth? Yes. Why? Take me in the Bible and show me the virgin birth. They can't do it. Do you believe in the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, I believe in the Trinity. Why do you believe in the Trinity? Boy, one day you're going to really be pressed on what it is you believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? How many here this morning believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Why do you believe that? You see, one day we're going to be pressed hard on these things. And you need to not only know what you believe, but why it is that you believe that down to your core. And understand that uh, one day when you are pressed and push comes to shove, uh, uh, you will either stand on those convictions or you won't. And we looked at, in that series of sermons, we looked at Queen Esther as our example. Remember back, uh, I believe that was a snowy day that day, but the attendance was down a little bit. But we talked about Esther, how that um, uh, when the Jews were put in harm's way, Queen Esther did not back down. She put her life on the line and she said, if I perish, I perish. And I'm moving forward and uh, if it costs me my head, if it costs me my life, these are the convictions I believe and I stand on. Her, her uncle Mordecai said, you've been created for such a time as this. And we need to stand with conviction. And then we, in February of this year, we moved on and we looked at a series of sermons entitled, Stand with Courage. Stand with Courage. And in this series, we asked a question, who or what do you fear? Who or what do you fear? Uh, we said you fear those things or those people that you focus on. If you're focused on politics, you'll fear political decisions. If you're focused on the virus, you'll fear the virus. If you're focused on someone or something from your past, that's exactly what you're going to fear. Um, we lack courage to stand for Jesus because we're not focused on Jesus. We know all about Him, but if we're not walking with Him, we're not focused on Him, then we will not truly fear Him. When, you're fear, uh, when you fear God, then you will stand with courage for Him. And our example we looked at at the end of that series was King David. You may remember we talked about how that David showed up to the battle and all the other Israelites went and hid because they saw Goliath. But David did not see Goliath. David saw the God standing behind Goliath. And David said, hey man, who are you, you little punk, to pick on my God and God's people? The God standing behind you will tear you to shreds and he'll use me to do it. And everyone said, David, you're just looking uh, for valor. You're just, your motives are wrong. And David said, no, is there not a cause? I will stand. I will fight. If all you warriors won't do it, this ruddy little teenage, ruddy-headed teenage boy, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take him down. And sure enough, because he had the courage, where was David's focus? Was it on the giant? Oh, no. David's focus was on the God behind the giant. And we need to be a people who quits focusing on the problems of this world and starts focusing on the God who stands behind the problems of this world. A God who is greater and mightier and stronger and better and more omnipotent in every way than any problem that we face. Standing with courage. Many Christians cower. And we cower because we're not focused on the Lord. Then we turn to our third series of sermons and we talked about standing with commitment. Many people have a strong core of a belief system for a while. For a while, they have the courage to stand against the giants that oppose their faith. But the question is this, can you do it for the long haul? 
Can you do it for the long haul? Many people are more like the twig that shoots up out of the rocky soil. The sun comes out, there's no depth of earth, and boom, they're scorched. And yes, they're still saved. The seed is still in the soil. But boy, there's no evidences of them being saved. They're not in church anymore. They're not doing what's right anymore. Why? Because they weren't committed in their stand. I call them Alka-Seltzer Christians. Big uh, splash, big fizz. And then they just look like a cup of water. And uh, boy, we've talked about this. I thank God for families who've been in the church 30, 40 years. They're, they're like that tree planted by the river of water. Right? They're, they continue to bring forth fruit season after season after season after season. But boy, how many people in the 41 years of this church's history have come in, have showed great hope, have been here for a year or two or three, sometimes a month or two or three, and then you never see them again. Somebody said something that hurt their feelings. Somebody looked at them the wrong way. Someone didn't shake their hand. Someone parked in their parking spot. Someone sat in their pew. And they got all in a huff. They got all in a tizzy. And they leave the church over nonsense. Nonsense. And my friend, there are people today on the other side of the globe that are dying for their faith. They get up this morning and they very carefully, uh, 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 secretly snuck into some underground church meeting at the risk of having their head chopped off or having themselves shot. And Christians in America cower in fear. And on top of that, they're distracted and they only go to church if it's convenient for them. And my friend, we need Christians who will stand and do so with commitment. Christians who are not afraid. Christians who are not here for a little bit and then off. Uh, Christians who aren't uh, a Christian when it's popular, but now that it's not popular or convenient, I'm no longer going to do it. We need Christians who will stand with commitment. And those were the first three series of the sermons uh, of, of, the, uh, of the year uh, that we looked at in our theme, Stand for Jesus. And so all of this is working toward this series of sermons. And again, it will be a mini-series, Stand for Christ. Stand for Christ. Yes, it's great that you stand with conviction. Yes, it's great uh, that you stand uh, uh, with uh, commitment. And it's great uh, that you stand with courage. But if you are not standing for the right person, and you're not standing for the right reasons, then my friend, eventually your faith will fall over because you are doing it all for the wrong purpose. Why is it that we take a stand? We take a stand because of our Christ. I believe that because Christ was willing to lay down His life for me and you, and He was willing to die in our place when we were hopeless and worthless, then He has earned the right for each one of us to live for Him. Jesus gave His life. He gave His life for us. And now we should give our life for Him. He left heaven. He impoverished Himself. He became a man he became a man who was walked on. He became a man who was willing to die so that we could live. He took on our damnation so we could have His eternal life. Oh, I can't think of a greater reason to give my loyalty to someone. Just imagine with me, if you would, that I came out uh, of, of, my, uh, I came out of, of uh, my car and there was some railroad tracks there I was stopped waiting for a train to come and I look up and lo and behold, there you are. Your foot is stuck there in the railroad tracks and you can't get out and you're trying to wiggle away but your foot is jammed down there and a train is pressing and coming and the engineer's trying to stop the train but it's hopeless. That train's going to run you over and I hop out of my car and I run over to where you are and I quickly help you get your foot out of your shoe and right before the train hits you, I shove you out of the way and that train hits me and kills me and boy, just barely misses you and you land on your uh, on your on your backside and on your back on the other side of the tracks and you scuff up your arms but you look and your life has been saved but I've been killed in saving your life. Uh, boy, wouldn't you feel grateful that someone knocked you out of the way. My wife comes to you at my funeral uh, and, and says to you, listen, my husband gave his life for you. Could I just ask one favor of you? Could you stop by and visit me once a week? 
Could, could you spend some time with me once a week? You represent my husband and the life that he gave. I don't think anyone would think that's too much to ask. I don't think anyone would think that that's too inconvenient to ask of you to do something of that nature. You see, if I had not been willing to knock you out of the way of that train, you'd be dead. You can take a little bit of time each week and visit with the widow that was left behind. And my friend, Jesus Christ, He didn't knock you out of the way of train. He knocked you out of the way of hell. And He asks that we give our life back to Him. Oh, I think that it is not too much of a request for Jesus Christ to ask that we stand for Him. Matthew believed this. He turned his back on being a rich tax collector to stand for Christ. Mark believed this. He gave his life to being a missionary to barbaric, uncivilized people. Luke believed this. He gave his life to being the Apostle Paul's personal doctor and keeping him alive to preach the Gospel. John the Revelator believed this. He stood for Christ even though it meant being boiled in oil and then exiled to an empty island. Andrew believed this. Uh, in living, Andrew believed in living for Christ. He stood for Christ as a missionary until he was arrested and then eventually nailed to an X-shaped cross because he would not renounce his faith in Jesus. Peter believed this. Uh, uh, Peter, Peter believed that Christ was worthy. He stood for Christ even though it meant being nailed to a cross upside down. The Apostle Paul believed that Christ was worth living for. He stood for Christ even though it meant a life of torture and eventually beheading. Many since have been impoverished, discredited, tortured, and killed because they stood for Christ. The question this morning to each one of you is this, is Christ worthy? Is He worthy? Has He served, uh, has He earned the right to have you live for Him? Let's jump into the outline this morning and look at four thoughts as we consider this title, Stand for Christ. If you're newer to our church, on the back of our bulletin, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to get a pen and take notes as we go this morning uh, and write down the things that stand out to you from the sermon. Number one, notice our responsibility. Our responsibility. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 16 and look at verse number 24 with me. Matthew chapter 16 and 24. The Bible says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What is our responsibility according to Jesus in this verse? Well, we're to come after Jesus. You know what that means? That means you're to find him and seek him out. That means you're to have a personal relationship with Him. That means that you're to walk with Him and talk with Him. You're to locate Him and come after Him. Uh, what else does Matthew 16, 24 tell us that our responsibility is? It also is our responsibility to, to take up our cross. And in this verse, we are to faithfully follow, faithfully Follow the Lord. Now, here's how I imagine this going down. I may not have this quite right. This is speculatory on my part. But I imagine that Jesus was there, uh, and He's walking around the outskirts of Jerusalem, and He looks, and lo and behold, a criminal is carrying a cross out of town toward the hill of Golgotha where that criminal would be killed. You see, we think about Golgotha, and immediately we think about the, the place of the skull, the mount out right outside of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. But please understand, hundreds and thousands of other people were killed uh, uh, through capital punishment in that very same place prior to Jesus being killed. In fact, crucifixion was a regular happening during Jesus' time. I imagine Jesus walking around the outskirts of Jerusalem and here comes a criminal walking out of town with a cross on his back and Jesus must have looked at that criminal and said to His disciples, if you want to be My disciple, then you're going to have to bear your cross. You're going to have to bear your cross. Jesus knew full well that meant He knew that he knew he was going to bear a cross. Jesus knew full well his disciples had no idea what that really meant. But Jesus knew full well that one day they would reflect back on his statement. They would remember the crook carrying his cross. They would remember the Christ that would carry his cross. And they would be reminded that to be a Christian means that they would need to bear their cross. Jesus does not ask us to do something for him. 
that He was not willing to do for me and you. Letter A, notice His love for us. His love for us. Turning your Bibles over to John chapter number 15. In John 15, we find a heavy-hearted Jesus on His way to the Mount of Olives, uh, getting ready to be arrested where He would be crucified. His heart is heavy. In John 14, where the Olivet discourse begins, He tells His disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into Myself. John 14. And the disciples can tell the heart of the Savior is is heavy. Maybe they're entering the the, the, the garden there of Gethsemane. Maybe they're, uh, they're just at the bottom of the hill of the Mount of Olives. Look at John 15 with me and look at verse number 9. Jesus Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be filled uh, full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, a very famous verse. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus would go on later in the chapter to tell his disciples that they were his friends. Jesus would go on to be arrested where he would lay down his life for his friends. Yesterday, I went door knocking on uh, right here in Paradise, Paradise Green in Stratford. My brother Joe was my soul winning partner. And i got to tell you, I didn't feel like going. Um, I was feeling a little tired. Uh, but, um, you know, those are the times when God gives you the most results. When you don't want to go out and share your faith, but you go out anyway. And I, we got to knock it on some doors. And uh, either people weren't home or real, real short with us. One guy came to the door and, what is Baptist anyway? He was Catholic and didn't want to, didn't really want to engage with us. wasn't real nice to us. And uh, there were some men, a man outside doing some yard work, and another guy just kind of standing there watching him do the yard work. And I think he was waiting for some things to clear out so he could get some things set up for a birthday party. And there, there were Haitian men. They were standing out there in the yard. And when we came up, the guy who was just standing there, he just turned his back on us. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. And so I walk up and I engage him. His name is Michael. And I started to talk to him. And as soon as I told him I was from a church, he, he said, you know what he said? He said, I thought you were selling solar. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you're not selling solar. He said, uh, you're a pastor. He said, I am thrilled to meet you. Well, there were some lawn chairs there. So we sat down in those lawn chairs and we began to go through the gospel with him and tell him about how he was a sinner. And he had no problem admitting that. He understood that the price of sin was death and hell. And we went through Revelation chapter number 21 where the Bible gives a list of those who will one day be thrown in hell. And he understood that all the humanity fits inside that list. And then we got to the story of the passion where Jesus died on the cross and everything he went through. And as I sat there and told him that story, you know, he, he locked in. He began to listen to me. And my voice began to quiver as I began to talk about the great sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross. How that at any moment He could have stopped it. How that at any moment He could have called down legions of angels to take Him away. I told Michael yesterday, I said, it was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that held Him up looked at Michael, and Michael did not cry, but I could tell he was very somber and very serious. I could tell he was moved by the love of God on his behalf. I think of the soldiers who fight for American freedom and who die so that we can do what we do here. Soldiers who don't know my name. Soldiers who've never met me. Soldiers who have no idea who I am. And they lay down their life for a perfect stranger. But can I tell you a love that's even greater than that? God in heaven knows every wickedness I've ever done. And He still came and died for me anyway. 
Oh, what love. Listen, Christian, never let, ever, ever let it get old to you how much Jesus loves you. Never, ever, ever let it get old to you what He went through on your behalf. Never, ever, ever let it grow tired to your heart that Jesus Christ was willing to become your sin. Every filthy deed and thought you've ever thought and had, He became that for you on the cross. Why? For Because of one reason and one reason only, He loves you. Oh, I can't think of a love that's greater. I can't think of a love that's deeper than that. Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave His life. What more could He give? Meet Abraham Benninger, a Swiss boy from Zurich. He came with his parents to this country on the same ship that brought John Wesley. His father and mother, uh, uh, the father and mother of the lad, both died on the voyage and were buried at sea. When he stepped onto the gangway uh, to a strange continent where there was not a, a single familiar face. When he grew to manhood, he asked uh, to be sent to tell the story of Jesus and salvation to the black slaves of the island, islands of St. Thomas. Uh, because they, he, he knew that they did not have a missionary. They did not have someone to tell them about Jesus. And he heard of their great misery and degradation. Uh, Abraham, when he arrived at the island, Abraham Benninger, he learned it was against the law for any person but a slave to preach to the slaves. It was the policy of the planters to keep the black slaves in ignorance and superstition. Shortly after this, the governor of St. Thomas received a letter signed Abraham Benninger in which the writer begged urgently to become a slave for the rest of his life promising to serve as a slave faithfully, providing he could give his leisure time to preaching to the fellow slaves. The governor took the letter and sent it to the king of Denmark, which was so touched by it that he sent an edict empowering Abraham Benninger to tell the story of the Messiah when and where he wanted to black and white, um, bond or free. You know, Jesus Christ was willing to leave heaven and become a slave to our sin in order to set me and you free. Oh, I can't think of a greater love. I love John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. I really love Romans 5.8. But God committed His love toward us. You see, the world is... Everyone in all of humanity, all 7 billion, almost 8 billion people that live, but us, those of us that are saved, God commendeth His love toward us. But I love the most Galatians 2.20 where it says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, it's personal. It's personal. That Jesus loves you. Our responsibility is is to stand, it's to stand based on a God who loves us so. Letter B, our loyalty to Him. Our loyalty to Him. Matthew chapter 16. Look back at Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse number 24. The Bible says there, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. It is said that there was once a monk who prayed much that he might have the marks of the Lord upon his hands and feet. A vision was given him, allegedly, in which he was shown a mark on the Lord's body that the world had forgotten. It was the mark upon the shoulder. And the monk learned that he could only have the marks on the hands and feet as he first had the mark upon the shoulder. You see, you cannot be a martyr for Christ until you first bear the cross of Christ. Oswald Chambers said this, he said, All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. Ignore its meaning. Oh, heaven cares about the cross, and hell cares much about the cross. But many people on earth yawn at the concept of the cross. Now, you may have gone to the cross to get saved, but the question this morning is, are you bearing your cross 
for Christ? Are you bearing your cross for the Lord? Many people are worried more about their comfort and worried more about what they have than they are worried about following the Lord and suffering on His behalf. Spurgeon worded it this way. He said, there are no crown bearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. There are no crown bearers in heaven that are not cross bearers here below. My question to you this morning, my friend, is this. Are you bearing your cross for Christ? Please understand that a cross is not a cross unless it helps bring someone else closer to the Lord. You see, if you go through a hardship in your life and you're not using that hardship to bring others closer to the Lord, you're not using that hardship to represent your faith in Christ, then that hardship is nothing more than a hardship. But if you go through a hard time in your life and you're suffering in the name of Jesus and you're using that hardship to grow the kingdom of heaven, then my friend, you are bearing your cross for the Lord. I uh, heard of a, a, a pastor that got up at a conference and preached about sacrificing and living a base, simple life for the Lord and giving our all to Jesus. And then when the conference dismissed, they stood in the lobby and they shook hands and noticed that each other was wearing four, five, six hundred dollar suits and they walked outside and got in cars that were fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars and there was a realization that there was a strong disconnect between what was preached and what was lived what was preached and what was lived. My friend, I'm not here to tell you that if you have a nice car or live in a nice house that you're necessarily doing something wrong. But if Christ were to call you to give that up, to follow Him, and you're not willing to do it, then my friend, you're like the rich young ruler who's not willing to part with what they have in order to live for Jesus. Are you loyal to Christ? Are you giving your life to Christ? Are you standing for Christ? Are you loyal to Him or are you more loyal to popularity? Are you loyal to Christ or are you more loyal to being comfortable? Are you loyal to Christ? Are you, worried, are, you, are you willing to stand for Him and live your life according to what He calls you to do? Or are you more loyal to some paycheck, some bank account, some lifestyle? My friend, Christ has called us to stand for Him. Number one, our responsibility. Number two, our resistance. Look at John chapter 15 with me. And look at verse number 18. John 15. And look at verse number 18. The Lord's getting ready to be arrested again in this passage. And He tells His disciples, He says, Look, you've got some persecution coming your way. Don't be surprised by it. Look at verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that there's going to be some resistance to your faith. He's saying there's going to be some pushback on what you believe. There's going to be some name-calling. In fact, there may even be some martyrdom and some death. There's going to be some bloodshed. Hey, Jesus said, don't be shocked by that. He said, you're not greater than I am. If they're going to nail me to a cross, don't be surprised when they come after you next. You're not better than me. And so resistance is to be expected. Now, none of us want resistance. Here's the truth. All of us want to be accepted. You know why you're here this morning? There's many reasons why folks showed up today, but can I give you one macro reason why many of us showed up today? Because here, we are with like-minded people who believe like we do. We have found a group that accepts us. Amen? We found a group that believes like we do. I get up here and preach the Word of God, and you nod your head up and down, and around the room are other people nodding their head up and down. Some folks are even bold enough to say amen in church. Amen? All right, don't be afraid to say amen, okay? Like I said, New England, North, Northeast Baptists are a little stiff, okay? Y'all can loosen up a little bit, all right? Some sermons I preach, if I were to preach them in the Southeast, man, people would be swinging from the chandeliers. Here, people just sit there. Right? Okay? It's okay to say amen in church. 
It's okay to put your hand in the air in church. It's okay to wave your Bible when some preacher says something good. It's even okay to stand up and wave your Bible, okay? Uh, now, don't fake it, right? The Lord needs to move and work. But if the Lord's moving, don't stop Him, amen? Um, uh, but um, uh, anyway, where was I? Our resistance. We, um, we have, we're here because we feel accepted. We're here because other people believe like us, and we feel like we fit here. But what about when you're not in this environment? What about when you're at work and you're the only Christian? What about when you're in your neighborhood and there's some gathering you've been invited to and you go and, boy, the cussing and the drinking and, and uh, all of the language and uh, you just, what if you're at school and you, you know that you're to take a stand against something, but you know if you do so, it's going to make you unpopular. What, what then? What about when that resistance comes? Jesus said, hey, don't be shocked by it. Expect it. Expect it. Letter A, where does the resistance come from? Notice letter A, our flesh. Go back to Matthew chapter 16 with me in verse number 24. Our own flesh. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me. Let's read those next four words together. I'm going to begin the verse again. When I get there, read those four words with me. Ready? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me. Let's read. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. You know why many of us don't carry our cross? Because we're not willing to deny ourselves. We're not willing to deny ourselves. Look at verse 25. For whosoever, those next four words, ready, will save his life shall lose it. We're, we're, we're guarding ours. We're protective over our vision and our dream. And listen, when those visions and dreams are not in line with God's visions or dreams for our life, we're guarding and protecting, and we're, 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 we're all about building our kingdom, and that kingdom does not fit within God's will of our life. Boy, we're putting ourselves in a bad place. You know, I, I've been called to be a minister. In fact, one of the terms ascribed to pastor is the term minister. Uh, uh, you could say that I am your minister. And uh, boy, what a great uh, idea. What a great thought. But can I tell you this? Every Christian's called to be a minister. We're all called to serve. We're all called to serve. I read a quote this week, putting the sermon together. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If the most sacrificial thing you do for your church is show up and sit on a pew, that's going to accomplish nothing. Pastor, I would invite someone to friend day, but I may be told no. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. You may get laughed at. <laughs> if I were to walk in your church, the building would fall in. Right? I'm not going to your church. That's crazy. You might have to invite 15 people before you get someone to come. How many here have at least 15 friends that don't go to White Baptist Church? Raise your hand. At least 15 friends. Oh, many of you aren't raising your hand. You don't have any friends? <laughs> All my friends are at White Oak Baptist Church, Pastor. We need to branch out a little more, right? It might be that 15th friend that you invite before they say, okay, I'll come with you. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Eric Fellman speaks of meeting a Chinese couple in Hong Kong while traveling to China. Hong Kong separate from China, okay? So he's in Hong Kong. He's on his way to China. You with me? Everybody tracking? A friend uh, took, he said, a friend took me down a narrow alley to a second floor apartment to meet a man recently released from prison in China. Eric said, I knew I would be pressed to carry Bibles and literature on my trip into China. He said, I was hesitant and I tried uh, to mask my fear with rationalizations about legalities and other concerns. He said, I was going to make excuses about why I couldn't take the Bibles, um, smuggle the Bibles and literature into China because I, I was going to mask those fears with you know, excuses about legalities and other reasons. He said, a Chinese man in his 60s opened the door. His smile was radiant, but his back was bent to where he walked doubled over. He, he led us to a sparsely furnished room, this man and his wife, a Chinese woman of about the same age, came out to serve them some tea. 
as she lingered, he said, I couldn't help but notice how they touched and lovingly looked at each other. Almost like they were flirting with each other. He said, my staring at this couple in their 60s flirting with each other apparently didn't go unnoticed, for soon they were both giggling like school-aged children. What is it, I asked my friend. Oh, nothing, he said with a smile. He said, they just wanted you to know it's, it was okay that you're staring. He said, they're newlyweds. They're newlyweds. So you have this man doubled over, not, not, not walking real well, just getting out of the Chinese prison. He's just married this woman, and uh, they're in their 60s, and they're acting like newlyweds, okay? He said, he said this. He said, I learned that they had been engaged since 1949. He said when he was a student at Nanking Seminary, on the day of their wedding rehearsal, Chinese communists seized the seminary. They took the students to a hard labor prison. For the next 30 years, the bride-to-be was allowed only one visit per year. Each time, following their brief minutes together, the man would be called into the warden's office. The warden would say to him, You may go home with your bride, he said, if you renounce Christianity. Year after the year, the man replied with just one word, no. No. This um, Eric Fallman, who's in Hong Kong traveling into China, he said, I was stunned. He said, um, he, he, he said how, how had he been able to, to stand the strain of being in prison for so long after being denied his family, his marriage, and even his own health. When I asked, he seemed astonished at my question. Listen to this reply by this man who had been in a hard labor prison for 30 years. He replied, he said, With all that Jesus has done for me, how could I betray him? All that Jesus has done for me, how could I betray him? He said, the next day I requested that my suitcase be crammed with Bibles and training literature for Chinese Christians. He said, I determined not to lie about the materials, yet not once, yet uh, lost not one minute of sleep worrying about the consequences. He said, as God had planned, my suitcase was never inspected. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Listen, we, we have Great Commission Saturday starting up in just a couple of weeks. Some of you have made every excuse under the heavens as to why you can't be involved in it. I, I'm not just trying to promote a ministry here just for the sake of promoting it. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I can't think of another ministry in our church more important than getting the gospel to the community the healing balm of salvation to the community. Are you like this Mr. Eric who has every excuse under the sun as to why you can't do it? You hide your fears behind rationalizations. But after all he's done for us, is he worthy or is he not? Boy, what is our resistance? Before we go looking at outside forces, the number one reason why we don't stand for Christ is our own flesh. Letter B, notice our friends and family. Our friends and family. Look back at Matthew 16. Now just before Jesus has this dialogue about taking up your cross and following Him, He has a very interesting conversation with His number one disciple, Peter. Look at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from me, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, I, I heard a preacher recently say this, and I thought it was so good. I have to share it here. Here he calls Peter the devil. He calls him Satan. Why? Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beat up by the scribes and the priests, and I'm going to be killed. And Peter pulls him to the side and says, 
That's not going to happen to you. Stop talking like that. And Jesus looks him right in the eye and says, Get behind me, Satan. Now, just a few verses prior to that, he said, uh, Simon, son of Jonas, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He just told Peter, the church is going to be built, and you're going to be part of the foundation, and now he's calling him Satan. Woo! What a turnaround. Right? Now watch this. Here's the interesting thing. When Judas kissed Jesus on the face... You know what Jesus called Judas? Friend. Friend. He calls the man who betrays him a friend. He calls his number one disciple Satan. You know why? Judas was helping Jesus get to the cross. Peter was trying to stand between Jesus and the cross. Jesus' will was to go to the cross. When your friends get between you and God's will for your life, my friend, it's time for you to find someone new to spend time with. Many of you here have surrounded yourself with a group of people. They're just not a good influence on you. They don't encourage you to go to church. They don't. You going to church again? Oh, well, you know, I had an activity planned for Sunday morning. Everyone's going to be there but you. We were going to go shopping. You're not going to be there. Oh, you know what? You're just full of that Jesus stuff. My friend, you need to put people around you who encourage you to be in church, who encourage you to love the Lord, who encourage you to take that stand for Christ. But you know when it's even harder is when it's our family. Turn over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and look with me at verse number 3. You know, Jesus endured a lot, having left heaven and living here on earth. The dynamic that Jesus was born into at home, having a mother and a stepfather, having step-siblings. I don't know how much Mary, Jesus' mother, talked about Jesus being the Christ. But I know this, by the time Jesus reached adulthood and entered public ministry, His own brothers had a spite in their heart toward Him. And did not believe him to be who he claimed to be. Look at verse 3. His brethren, John 7, 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that, my, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. There's sarcasm in verse 3. That's backed up by verses 4 and 5. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou be these things, show thyself to the world. Verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Jesus was uh, uh, contemplating going into Jerusalem, but it was a hostile environment where he'd be uh, possibly arrested and killed. And his brothers say to him, well, if you really are the Christ, go on into Jerusalem. You'll be fine. Here even his own family didn't believe in him and back him. I'm talking to a dad and a husband today that wants to radically give their heart to Jesus, but as a wife who's holding him back. I'm talking about a wife today who wants to live for the Lord and take that next step for the Lord and become more devoted to the Lord, but a husband who's pulling her back. I'm talking about children today uh, who live at home, teenagers and uh, young ones uh, who want to give their heart to the Lord and really live for Jesus and be sold out to Him all the way. Mom and dad are holding them back. Pulling back and saying, oh no, don't be a radical. Oh no, don't be a fanatical. My friend, you need to learn to take a stand for the Lord. You need to do it graciously. You need to do it the right way. But Jesus Christ is where our number one loyalty lies. When we face resistance, are we going to stand for Christ or are we going to cave to the resistance? Number one, our responsibility. Number two, our resistance. Notice number three, our rest. Our rest. Matthew chapter 11. You're in Matthew 16. Turn back just a couple of pages to the left. Matthew chapter number 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. The Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in, in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we take a stand for Christ, sometimes that can really drain us. Sometimes that can really pull us down. Sometimes that can empty the spiritual tank. What are we going to do during those times? Rest is available for letter A for the hardworking. I'm going to ask the teenagers to stay put and not slip out of the service unless it's an absolute emergency. There's been a lot of getting up and sitting down. And I'm going to ask that everyone, if you can, just hold put and uh, let's not be any more of a distraction, please. Who, who does the Lord offer rest for? He offers it for the hardworking. Look back at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor. All ye that labor. Um, here's the obvious statement. If you're lazy, you don't need rest. Right? You ain't done nothing. Okay? Let me just say this to you. Last Sunday night, I was uh, at home. I shared this a little bit on Wednesday. I was at home, and uh, Brother Owens was up here preaching, and I had been at home for two weeks resting. Sick, but resting. And uh, I was done resting. I was going, coming out of my mind. I was so stir-crazy. And uh, I went outside. I had the service on my phone and was watching uh, Pastor Andrew Lee singing and Brother Owens preach. And I'm sweeping the deck and I'm uh, fishing things out of the swimming pool that I hadn't closed yet. And, and I'm in, inside and I'm washing dishes and I'm sweeping floors. And, and Angela came home. She said, what is going on? I said, I can't take it anymore. I said, I'm going back to work tomorrow. She said, no, you need to rest. I said, no, I've rested for two weeks. I'm going to work. I said, you took the key to my car. Give me my key back. Where's my key? I'm not telling you. Give me my key right now. I went through every purse she had. Amen. Five hours later. That's not true. Um, my car was out of gas. I needed gas to take the kids to school tomorrow. I said, give me my key. I'm going to go gas up my car. She said, I'm going with you. I said, that's fine. I'm driving, woman. Get in the passenger seat. And uh, I, uh, I went and got gas in, uh, in the car. And, and uh, boy, I, I've, I've worked this week. And, boy, I walked in the door Monday morning here at the church, and I was, I was never so happy to see the property of White Oak Baptist Church. You know, um, uh, this week we put our house on the market uh, for, uh, to sell, we're, we're in the next couple months, we're going to be moving in the house next door. And we had to really get some spit shine on the house to get it ready, right? Uh, for the photographer to come in and get pictures, for it to go up on the market. And so Thursday, man, I really worked. I got in there and I was uh, moving boxes and, and, and cleaning and pressure washing and all of these things to get the house ready. And boy, I woke up Friday morning and I said, oh man, I need some rest. You, you know when you need rest is when you've been working. Now, physical rest is good if you've been physically exerting, but how about when you're spiritually working? That's when we need that spiritual rest. And when we are working for the Lord, and we're not walking with the Lord, you can sleep all day long, you won't be spiritually rested. You can watch hours of TV, you really won't be spiritually rested. Spiritual rest comes when we walk with the Lord George Mueller worded it this way. He said, The stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord as well as his steps. The stops of a good man. Uh, Edward, Edwin Roberts of Princeton Seminary once sat under a pastor who concluded his announcements. He said, I am not going to take a vacation this summer. He said, The devil never does. Roberts went home and reread the Gospels to see what Jesus' attitude is. He found that in his three years of active ministry, there were mentioned ten periods of retirement. This was in addition to the nightly rests and the Sabbath rests. And then he asked this question, whose example are we following? The devil's? The devil's? Some of you are go, 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 go. Boy, we need to make sure we stop and spend time with the Lord and enjoy that rest. We're going to stand for Christ. Boy, it's going to wear us out. We better make sure we're walking with the Lord. Rest is for the hard working. Let her be. Notice rest is for 
the hurting, the hurting. Look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. The Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. First Peter 5, 7, we're told, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Would you turn quickly over to Psalm 142, Psalm 142 in your Bibles. Here we find David in a very dark place. David is being chased by Saul around the wilderness. And he's hiding in a cave. Uh, Boy, I've gone camping before and I've slept in a tent for one night at a time. And you don't get any real sleep. But David's not sleeping on an air mattress in a tent in, in the middle of a field in Oxford, Connecticut. David is hiding in a cave from a man who's trying to kill him for months on end. There's no real quality of sleep there. There's this constant fear that your life could be taken at any moment. David found himself at a place where he was discouraged and hurting. Look at verse 2. David says here, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. David said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Verse 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. You ever been there where you're hurting so bad? You feel that everyone in your life has neglected you? You begin to even question the validity of your friendships. You wonder if anyone really even cares. You feel as though you're all alone in a big, big world. David sitting in a cave, as depressed as he could be, he said, I looked on my right hand and there was nobody. He said, refuge failed me. He said, then I looked up I looked right and I looked left and there was nobody there for me. But I looked up and I said, Lord, You are my refuge. You are my strength. He spent time in the presence of God. He had took a stand for what was right and it caused him to be on the run from Saul, his father-in-law. Saul is trying to kill him. And he says, Lord, in this time where I'm hurting, You're the only rest I have. He said, Lord, give me that rest. Some of us today, we run ourselves ragged. We're standing for the Lord. We're witnessing to everything that moves. We're living for Christ. But are we resting in the Lord? Number four, and lastly, let's notice our reward. Our reward. Quickly, letter A, notice an earthly purpose. An earthly purpose. Go back to Matthew chapter 16 with me. and Let's look at verse number 25. It says, therefore, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know, don't miss this right here. I'm almost done. Solomon got to the end of his life. He looked back. You know what he saw? He saw great, great wealth that he had accrued. He saw buildings that he had architected that were the most beautiful buildings on the earth. He saw a house full of wives that he had married. He saw success by every metric the world has to offer. You know what Solomon said at the end of his life? He said, it's vanity. It's vanity. He said, I lived life for me, and it's vain. Then he concludes, and he says, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. Stand for Jesus. 
Live for Him. That will give you purpose to life. You want to save your life? You want to do everything that you believe is good for you to live your life? The Bible says, hey, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're going to get to the end one day and you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, what do you have to show for eternity? And you're going to say, well, uh, my kid was the star on the basketball team and I lived in a huge house and I, had, I wore nice clothes and I climbed the corporate ladder. And God's going to say, okay, and how does that help eternity? Hey, uh, angel, go check his bank account balance. Oh, you don't have anything in there. And all that's burning up with the fervent heat. You see, when we choose to stand for Christ... One of the rewards is that we're given a purpose here on earth. One of the joys of my life is that I wake up every morning and I know I'm called to live for Jesus. When I pull up to a gas station and I take a track out of my pocket and I give that to someone and I say, hey, why don't you come visit our church? I have nothing to be ashamed of. They might laugh and scoff and not take it, but they very well may take it and that very well may turn their life around for eternity. Do you have an earthly purpose? Oh, I know you have a job. Many of you have a job you go to and you work and uh, you have things you're trying to accomplish at work and deadlines and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you have an earthly purpose that God's given you here? You see, when you lose your life in Christ, everything that truly matters to you revolves around heaven and you do that while God leaves you here on earth. An earthly purpose, letter B, we see eternal profit. Lastly, Eternal prophet. Look back at Matthew 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man gain in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his work. Legend has it that Alexander the Great sat on the shores of the ocean after winning a great military battle. And said to his general, now what? I have conquered all that there is for me to conquer, and now I have nothing else to do with my life. Alexander the Great had conquered the world and was left with a sense of emptiness. Many athletes win a championship and are left with a feeling of emptiness. Many people get that promotion at work and climb the ladder of success, only to be left with a feeling of emptiness. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that we are to store up treasures in heaven. I conclude the sermon with this illustration. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, gave his life to take the gospel to, as he put it, a thousand villages who have never heard the name of Christ. When asked about his great sacrifice and life lived bearing his cross for Christ, here's what Livingston said, and I quote, He said, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice? Which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? It is a sacrifice which, is, is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward, a healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. He said, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this sink in for a moment. But let this, but, he said, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk. When we, when we remember the great sacrifice which He made who left His Father's throne on high to give Himself for us. David Livingston said, what you call a sacrifice, I call a privilege. A privilege. Sometimes we lose our way. We know what we're to do. But we get off track. For some of you here this morning, it's time to decide, I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to stand for Christ because He is worthy. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
Boy, Satan will throw every distraction he can at you. Every distraction he can at you. Are you living for Christ? Are you standing for Christ? Is He all that really matters in your life? Have you found His purpose for you while you live on planet Earth? Are you living it? Some of you know that purpose, but you've gotten away from it. It's time to recommit. How many of you say, Pastor Lejeune, in one way or another, the Lord has spoke to me through the sermon this morning, I need to do a better job of standing for Christ. Pastor, please pray for me. Here's my hand. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? The Lord's working on my heart. I know I need to take a stand for Christ. In just a moment, our piano is going to play, and we're going to have an invitation. But right there where you are, is it time to push back on the resistance? You've been caving to the resistance in your stand. You know what you need to do. You just haven't been doing it. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes on the main thing. The, the common goal of living the life you've called us to. Lord, may we walk with you each day. May we find our rest and our walk with God, our devotions. May we live a devoted life. As the world yanks us in the wrong direction, may we be that wall that will not be moved. May we stand for you with our eyes on you and you only in your approval. In Jesus' name. Let's stand.